Welcome to Nourishing Matters to Chew On. I'm Anthea Fawcett. Join me on a journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable, fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. One of Nourishing Matters' most popular episodes is my conversation with Professor Liz Harry and Dr Nural Chotchettin. That was all about honey and healing and the magic and science of honey research. Listen into it if you haven't already to hear from Liz and Neural about their research and for fascinating insights about honey's antibacterial healing properties and the effects of Australian honeys on the growth of beneficial and potentially harmful bacteria in the human gut. Honeybees and other pollinators are key to food production, biodiversity and healthy landscapes. And Neural and Kathleen Shell are joining me fresh from the Australian Bee Congress. That was, apparently, an especially big, important gathering and a really good reason to catch up with Neural on all things bees and honey. So, so welcome, Neural. Welcome back. And great to meet you, Kathleen. Neural, when we spoke last year, one of the things we talked about was future-proofing the New South Wales apiary industry and keeping beekeepers in jobs project. That's part of the New South Wales government's bushfire industry recovery plan for industry, bushland and biodiversity recovery. And I heard from one of the Congress organisers who was speaking on ABC radio recently that Australia's east coast lost 50,000 hives during the bushfires and a further 7,000 in recent floods in northern New South Wales. So it's all really tropical still, isn't it? Especially as 65% of horticultural and agricultural crops require honeybees for pollination. Nura, tell me about the Australian Bee Congress and why it was particularly special or important this year and what it was all about and who was there. It was a very exciting year this year at Bee Congress. We normally have this every four years. This is my first one. I, I attend most of the beekeeping conferences, the state association conferences, but the Congress brings together all of the beekeeping associations, all of the beekeepers and industry partners from agriculture and horticulture together every four years all across the country. And this one was an especially important one because it's 200 years since the honeybee was introduced to Australia. So we were celebrating 200 years of beekeeping in Australia. And that's why it was especially special this year. <laughs> and especially special because you were with 600 people in the flesh. Absolutely. we At a common place. We were actually expecting twice that number, but I think people are still a little bit reserved because of all the COVID lockdowns and the risk of getting COVID and people are starting to travel more internationally. So they tend to isolate a little bit earlier when, before they're going on holidays. Uh, but it was a pretty big turnout, 600 people face-to-face. Yeah, no, that's huge. And was that um, pretty much mainly Australians or were there some international visitors too? There were a couple of international visitors. We did have some people over from New Zealand, some industry that are interested, obviously, in the Australian beekeeping industry and just other international partners Uh, but not quite as big as we would normally have had at Congress. This was very Australia-centric, and that was really evident in some of the talks that we saw as well. Yeah. And and who were the key organisers or hosts of it all? So ARBIC, the Australian Honeybee Industry Council, was sponsoring the entire Congress, and they put together a really good organising committee who covered things like the sponsors, the trade show, of course, the speakers. So we had a variety of experts from industry. We had scientists who were doing all sorts of bee, plant, and honey research come together and just talk about the latest challenges in industry, business diversification, and how to overcome some of the recent challenges. And of course, an up-to-date 
conference, I guess, of all the, the science behind honeybee research, honeybee health, pollination, and everything to do with honey. And it's been a big four years in terms of the environment, the foraging landscape for bees since you last met, hasn't it? Absolutely. And I think it was really evident this year in the speaker program as well, such a focus on climate change, which has been very different to conferences I've been to in the industry before, uh, and especially the industry challenges after such a long period of drought, then followed by those horrific bushfires of 2019, 2020. We're still seeing the effects and you, you called out some of the stats of the hives lost. I think we are still seeing the, the longer term effects of it's not just hives directly lost by those droughts and bushfires, but what has that amount of smoke done? What has that done to the environment, the foraging ability of the bees, because there just aren't many resources uh, that are left intact. And then, of course, the floods that followed straight after. So we had visitors from Tasmania or beekeepers from Tasmania saying this is the driest season we've ever had. Basically, the soil was just ripe for burning. It's a, a fuel ready for burning. And then you have people in New South Wales saying we didn't have a dry season at all. It was flood after flood. So in terms of honey flow, it's been quite a good season. But in terms of trying to maintain those hives and protect the bees, it's been really hard for the beekeepers and just consistent challenges. It's, it's really amazing. Exactly. Nirel, what were some of the key highlights or standout topics or issues that were discussed that especially struck you? You've just mentioned climate change featuring so much more prominently than in the past. And, of course, I've looked at the program. It is amazing. There were so many fabulous topics and, you know, invariably, as in so many conferences, in parallel sessions, so you couldn't get to them all. But, but what, what were some of the key standouts or highlights for you? Absolutely the climate change impacts on beekeeping and also ways to try to overcome some of those challenges, both from an industry perspective and what the science is telling us as well. What are the impacts on the environment and the health of the bees? So that was one really clear theme that stood out to me. There was a lot of talk about business diversification. So it wasn't just beekeeping, but how else, what else do we do? Not just honey production, but how else do we bring value to the industry? And one of the really key things was talking about honey and the flavor profile of honey. So why don't we value our honeys more as, a, as this prized food, as this really premium product? Like we have wine tastings and we have cheese tastings and people know that certain flavors are paired with certain things, but honey is also really diverse in that flavor profile and we haven't really capitalized on that. And in Australia, we've got such unique flora mm. that give us these really unique tasting honeys and you know not a single honey tastes the same as another honey even honeys from the same floral source different batches different seasons have slightly different these the floral profile and, and the flavor profile is so different so there seemed to be a big push this year to say how do we educate our consumers a little bit better and show the world the story of Australian honey is this really premium prized food. Wow. So like a terroir, is that how you pronounce it? Like, like for honey as, as, as for wine, as for other fine produce. Exactly. And we did have, you know, we, we normally have the honey competition. So beekeepers will enter their honeys and they're classed based on, you know, colour and purity and taste, of course, and how monofloral floral it is. So what, what kind of plant it comes from. But this year, for the first year, they were talking about having a honey connoisseur or a honey sommelier, which was very different. And the terminology used behind that is much more romantic and descriptive of the, the profile of honey. It's not just these criteria that you check it against, but it's everyone's individual experience with this 
flavor explosion in their mouth tasting these different honeys. So I found there was a big emphasis on that, along with the climate change and how to diversify the businesses better. Thanks for that, Nara. Kathleen, I'll ask you about um, your special session in a moment, but just in, in, in line with that sort of general overview, you know, surprising standout topics or issues, what did you find really amazing as in terms of topics or special focus? Um, I thought there was a lot more focus on science than I was expecting. Um, there was more science talks um, available to go and see. And there were some that I didn't even get to see because, like you said, there were some concurrent sessions. But there was so much more than I was expecting. I thought there was going to be obviously a very big focus on the beekeepers and stuff surrounding them. But the beekeepers are so interested in being able to incorporate the science into what they're doing and being like oh how is this going to benefit me what are the what are the ways that I can use this work to better my work and I thought it was really great to see because as scientists that's what we always want to see but um the beekeepers are super passionate about the science as well that's really exciting because often you hear agricultural extension officers say the best science comes from the field and you take it back into the lab when people generate the questions or want to prove what they've been observing anecdotally experiencing so that's that's really exciting and and uh, rings true doesn't it maybe i can dob kathleen in because she did have a very favorite talk and i think it's a really cool talk and one that is totally different to science and beekeeping kathleen do you want to talk about the sweet justice one yeah, so um, my favourite talk of the whole thing was um, a lady named Claire Moore and she spoke about a program called Sweet Justice and what it's doing is it's actually going into youth um, cor- um, correctional centres and things like that and essentially youth jails and teaching them how to beekeep not only as something to do while they're there and keep them out of trouble while they're there but it's also to give them life skills to use once they leave prison or jail and actually be like oh here's an industry that is looking for workers you have all the skills now that you need to join that workforce and it's really a lot of the kids in the um, in the program don't love school or have left school for other reasons Um, and it's kids as young as 10 that they're actually being like able to learn something and get a trade and then have something for them after they leave and you could tell that Claire was so passionate about what she did Um, it was really really inspiring to listen to. That's fascinating because I I know what Narelle when we spoke with Liz prior to our chat she spoke about the amazing work of hives and bees for soldier PTSD rehabilitation. So this whole idea of not just helping produce or look after, but being part of a bigger family in the ecosystem that touches so many buttons, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm, beautiful. Okay. So what about you, Nural, you mentioned that the agricultural industry were there along with the apiary industry and so forth. Can you just sort of speak um, spotlight some of the agricultural sectors other than APRI who who were especially there and I'm thinking of some of those projects like the Wean Bee Foundation have been involved in and so on. Absolutely so there were there were quite a few different industry partners agricultural industry people who fund the research that we do so organizations like AgriFutures Australia, Hort Innovations who are always looking for new research areas that add value back to the agricultural and horticultural industries because they are very reliant on bees, not for the production of honey, but for pollination services as well. Uh, There was Wean Bee Foundation, the not-for-profit charity, uh, really invested in looking after the health of our bees. And they're doing some really cool programs. They're also involved in the bushfire recovery scheme and they're doing some programs like pollinator-friendly guides. So for each state and each region in the states, they're helping local councils and community groups 
plant pollinator friendly plants. So not just for honeybees, but other pollinators, native pollinators as well. And they have these guides really nicely laid out, also available to download on their website where they say, it's this month, here's a plant that you can plant. And by this season, you'll have this kind of flower. It will attract these pollinators. And they have something for each month of the year so that your gardens and the community gardens, parks, any kind of public spaces are filled with food for pollinators. We also had lots of people from industries that directly rely on services that provide those pollination services. So there were lots of almond industry partners there. And again, they're looking for how do we give back and how do we ensure that our bees are well looked after and healthy for the production of our food. So almond is just one type of food, but obviously lots of other people who are interested in the pollination services, blueberries, a whole range of seeds and fruits and nuts. It's, it's huge, isn't it? I know when we spoke last time, we spoke about that honeybee pollination in Australia is annually worth some 14 billion plus to Australian agriculture alone. So it's massive. Exactly. Just on that question of pollinators and not just honeybees, can I ask you, what about native bees? Were there any presentations on native bees and perhaps how they are faring or how they interact with honeybees given the 200 years of uh, colonial introduction? There, there were some presentations on native bees. So we do have a lot of researchers who look at native bee populations, how they're affected by honeybee populations in terms of their food sources, in terms of their space for living, and also diseases exchanged between the two. So there's a, so much work on honeybee diseases because obviously they are really important for our food security, but not so much work done on native bee diseases and how honeybee diseases might be infecting our native bees and vice versa. There were some researchers presenting on native honeybees what kind of implications they have on the environment, how they interact or exchange diseases with our honeybees and vice versa. And actually just off the tail end of the Bee Congress was the Native Bee Conference, the annual Native Bee Conference, also held at Rose Hill, just off the tail end of the Australian Bee Congress. Uh, so many of the researchers were presenting there as well. Someone was telling me the other day about how they thought that honeybees are sort of not predatory, but they compete better than native bees when they forage. And so there's a little bit of a potential, well, conflict. Um, and I was saying, well, that's okay. You know, we need our native bees in the bushlands because there's wonderful foraging, but but uh, uh, native bees you can have in every garden, in every school because they're stingless, you know. So so uh, that's, that's exciting too. Exactly. And, and there's lots of studies done to show that honeybees will pollinate certain crops and flowers better and there are certain native bees that will obviously target and pollinate certain flowers and crops better as well. So I think it's about finding that balance. You don't want one to outcompete the other or past diseases that no. then affect our native bee populations at all. So it's a, it is about finding that balance of where they're both helpful. And Kathleen, thanks for joining us. You haven't had much of a chance to, <laughs> to speak over us yet. Mm-hmm. I understand that this was your first ever beekeeper conference and your first ever in-person conference. And most excitingly, that you were the runner up in the student talk session. So congratulations for that. You've arrived with a bee, with a bee and a bite and a bang. That's very exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Was that actually the Bee Bites student presentation competition? Yeah, that was for the student competition. It was a little three-minute um, kind of introduce your um, research to all the beekeepers, um, keep it nice and simple to understand and really how it could add value or really help beekeeping um, industry um, and Australian beekeepers. So I was um, very surprised and very happy um, that I came runner-up. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So can you tell me what your presentation was about? You've got three minutes. <laughs> so um, I'm looking at the prebiotic capacity of Australian honeys. Um, and what that essentially means is that how honey might actually be able to help the good bacteria that's now gut. And, and we're really important in this um, because it would be a really good avenue to explore for people who suffer from chronic disease, chronic gut diseases, and then also for the um, occasional gut infection like like stemming from food poisoning. Um, but it would also really stand to benefit um, Australian beekeepers because beekeeping is a really labour-intensive um, job. And as generations get older and more, less younger generations pick it up, it is harder and harder to perform the same level of beekeeping than you were when you were younger. So um, we're really interested in adding value to the honeys that beekeepers are already producing and honey is really special because it's the sugar in honey that looks like it's going to help our gut bacteria. So pretty much as honey is made, as it comes, it's going to help our gut. Um, and we're just looking to hopefully just give some scientific backing to that thought. So that sounds like you might be being supervised by, doc by Dr. Neurochotterton. Is that correct? Maybe. <laughs> That's really exciting. That's such a fantastic topic and such a great such a great topic to get a whole new generation of people involved in interdisciplinary research and and in the field work it's, it's very exciting can I ask you so so you you were the runner-up who who what was the topic or what who was the person who came first um so the winner was also from our lab we kind of cleaned up a little bit but um she came first and she also won the people's choice award and she was looking at the antifungal capacities of honey and looking at how honey could be used um, in creams or ointments to help um, fungal infections typically of the skin. And that that's the other big, the external application of honey and using the right honeys for the right purpose. That's fantastic. Anthea, I think I need to add here that I was chairing the session, definitely not a judge. It was not rigged. <laughs> <laughs> but the the judges were we did have a science communicator and comedian mm -hmm. we had an industry specialist so someone who's a technical specialist in honeybees and been involved in the industry for decades and we had someone from the funding bodies to who was there basically to scope out new research areas that they might be interested in funding mm. and one of the key criteria was not just how the students are communicating because that's one thing that they will obviously learn as part of their degrees but one key bit of the criteria was how will your research impact the industry? Like Kathleen said, uh, how will it add value to the industry? So they were really looking for projects that were a clever way to bring money back into the beekeeping industry and to also attract this younger generation of beekeepers. Because I think a lot of beekeepers who are getting older are expecting that their families will continue. So a lot of this is generational. My father did beekeeping and my grandfather did beekeeping and you'll hear these stories all the time, but we're not getting new people in and they think they look at their parents or their grandparents and think that is a lot of hard work for a long time. The climate situation is not improved and we're not seeing huge profits in this industry. So they are diversifying. They've gone off and done other degrees and looking at different types of businesses. But it's how do we retain that beekeeping skill? How do we keep our healthy managed bees? And it's about trying to draw in new interests. So if we can add value to their honey, it does become much more lucrative. It does become this premium product that they're producing and they can diversify their business by having these table honeys for nutritional value and then having really targeted 
programs like we're producing this kind of bioactive honey we are producing this kind of product from honey so they're involved in the science from the beginning and helping us to shape our science questions where we can then give back to the industry and say here's a science to back this now let's turn this into a product or let's turn this into an opportunity for a new market i was going to ask you about the logic behind bee bites but i think you've already answered that it just sounds so fantastic for people like kathleen all about science communication and promoting their career pathways and trajectories, but also for the industry to find and better understand the research opportunities on the horizon. That's very cool. I do I do have to say, even though the prizes were very rewarding to, to be chosen winner or runner-up or people's choice, I think some of the best feedback I got was I was so grateful to be able to present this to industry. I had people come up to me and ask me questions about why was I doing it this way? Have I thought about this? Do I want to come and visit their sites and look at their business models? So there's a lot of opportunity there to directly engage with the industry that we are obviously so passionate about trying to help. And I think the best one was, wow, look at this. Someone gave me their business card. They were so interested in my project and they want to do more work with me. And I think that's better than any prize that you can get, right? Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, no, fantastic. Oh, well, congratulations, Kathleen. I look forward to... uh to to your next presentation. <laughs> um, Nural, there were three plenary sessions. You gave one about the history and science of medicinal honey, and clearly Kathleen was presenting in, in, in sync with that in many ways. Emeritus Professor Ben Oldroyd spoke about honeybee science, and Trevor Weatherhead, Chair of the Australian Honeybee Industry Council, kicked off the Congress with his talk about the history of beekeeping in Australia. Huge topics few weeks ago but I was just wondering were there particular messages or take-homes from Ben and Trevor's respective presentations that really struck you or that you'd perhaps like to highlight for listeners just to, to to reiterate and reinforce? What I really loved about the conference was that we were celebrating 200 years of bees and beekeeping in Australia and I think Trevor Weatherhead really kicked it off with here's the history of beekeeping in Australia from this is when the first colony of bees was brought onto Australian soil, or we think it is, and these are the records that we have. And it was just fascinating to see how much, but also how little has changed in our beekeeping practices. So we, you know, we don't really have that really ancient history with beekeeping uh, in terms of modern day beekeeping as we know it now. I'm sure there are so many records of our Indigenous Australians and their interactions with the native bees, but in terms of the actual honeybee, such good historic records showing this is when the first hives were here and this is the kind of flora that we had and this is how it developed. So I really liked looking at how that history had changed and how so much of the practice had stayed the same, honestly. Uh, And then in Ben's talk, it was (laughs) delving into thousands of years of history. So looking at how humans interact with bees and what we know about the bee and what we've learned from bee behaviour. So it wasn't just about bees and humans, but bees in the environment, bees interacting with each other and communicating with each other. So really always fascinating for me to learn more about bees because I think they're just one of those creatures that are so social and have such good interactions and communications we can learn from. And some of the other talks in the plan, uh, not in the plenaries, in the session talks, were also focused on that bee behaviour, bee biology, bee genetics, and how that can help us to inform so many other thinking and working models. So it's really cool to see like this little insect and such a big impact it's had 
in Australia, but also around the world. So I really love that historic aspect. And they had a very cool historic display of, you know, here are some hives from a hundred years ago, and here's a tractor from however many years ago from this really prominent beekeeping family. So they had a beautiful historic display. And I think all of the attendees also got this historic newspaper um, of all the different honeybee articles. It's gorgeous. Collected over the last few well, hundred years, I guess. Kathleen, what about for you? Are there particular things from those presentations and, you know, the, the plenaries? Yeah, um, Naral almost covered all of them, um, but they were all, like, super interesting. Um, I did have a very long read of the note, the little newspaper they gave us um, showing the entire history of beekeeping. You could go through, they had all of, like, scanned versions of all the original old records. They're really so interesting to look at. Um, and I thought it was really interesting just, like, the history of beekeeping because it was really like it's barely changed like this is what a hive looked like when they started 200 years ago and this is what it looks like now and they're almost the exact same looking hive it's like this we found what works and it continues the bees are happy here it's just really interesting and Nara, what about um are there any particular updates from your research that you'd perhaps like to mention perhaps further to our great conversation last year tracking down as as planned last year or or have you have you had some new findings new developments in your your research recently or or that you might like to mention we have had a bit of delays in the lab thanks to all the covid restrictions because a lot of our work involves uh human participants so coming in and eating honey and dropping off stool samples so that we can see the effect of honey on the gut microbiome Mm -hmm. and one of the challenges we've had with looking at eating honey and how it affects our gut health is that with humans, it's very hard to control the diet. So even if we ask for food diaries and, you know, try to monitor the diet in some kind of way, it's very hard to see what the effect of the honey in the gut might be compared to other components in the diet. So what Kathleen's starting on now is using these preclinical mouse models where we can really strictly control the diet and then see how honey is actually working in that kind of environment. So she'll have mice that are feeding on a high fiber, high fat, high protein, or high sugar diet supplemented with honey to better understand what exactly is the honey doing and is honey combined with a particular type of diet really effective as a prebiotic. So it's about trying to tease out that bioactivity a little bit more, but take it one step further as well. It's not just the gut microbiome. It's not just the changes in those gut populations, but is it doing something with inflammation? So can we use it where we've got conditions where inflammation is more of an issue than infection is. So that balance of bacteria is important, but inflammation usually indicates that there are other issues there as well. So we're looking at that anti-inflammatory angle in a few different ways. Mm. And the other project that we're doing where we're looking at bioactivity and antimicrobial activity of honey is to look at how does the health of the hive affect that type of activity oh, wow. so do we have healthy bees and stressed bees are they producing honeys with different qualities different bioactivities what are the bees feeding on are they having a diverse diet or is it something that's very monofloral or one type of crop like if they're on almond pollination and that's the main food source does that affect the quality of the honey that they're producing if they've got this really rich national park with lots of different eucalypts are they producing a more active honey? So we've not really looked at the bee angle when we talk about bioactivity of honey before. So we're trying to tease that apart a little bit more. Is it just the floral source that's important or does that bee health really contribute to the different bioactivities? 
Go, go, ladies. <laughs> go, you women in STEM. That is so exciting. It's just so impressive. I just love it. I think I better go and retrain and come and join you in the lab. Or do beekeeping. <laughs> yes, I'll go. That's more likely. <laughs> I hear it's very relaxing. Can you have them in apartments? I suppose I can have the stingless bees in my apartment. Oh, you, yeah, you probably could have the stingless ones. They're they're not as social, so they don't form the big colonies. But back back to more forward-looking real things. Kathleen, what about for you? Were there any further light bulb moments or or developments that you heard about that might further shape or direct your research or your career going forward? I think you probably already touched on it and you're clearly in a in a pretty good groove where you are but uh yeah um well because I'm working on the prebiotic study we're looking at the different diets of the mice um and we really want to tie that back to how it might be in our diets as humans um but um just realistically how the mice will fare um with their diets because they obviously are a little bit different to us um and just we're just um, planning out experiments, being like, oh, we should try this with the mice, or maybe we'll try this. Um, how are we going to feed them? That sort of stuff. So it's very um, early days, but we're it's mainly just trying to nail out the details of what my project's going to look like. And is that primarily at and with the UTS uh, body of scientists, or is it in association with other universities? Or can you just touch on that? So um, it's actually going to be at the University of Sydney. The um, gut microbiome group is also situated there as well as with Professor D. Carter with their, with their honey lab. Um, so I've joined their micro, mm-hmm. gut microbiome lab um, and they do lots of model mice model studies. So I'll be in great hands trying to decide what we do and how what we, the information we get from the mice um, as well as the honey team with so many talented sciences over at um, University of Sydney. And Kathleen, is this part of your PhD or postdoctoral? Or I should have asked you earlier, what, what, where are you at in your studies? So I just finished my um, honours last year, but also under um, Neural, um, where I looked at the antibacterial capacity of some Australian honeys and their um, mechanism of action. Um, and now I'll be completing my PhD with the prebiotic study. All the very best for that. That sounds really exciting. Any final comments, call-outs? things you might like to raise, mention people. Yeah, I think we covered so much. What what more can you say? I think if if anyone's interested in supporting our local beekeepers, the best way to do that is buy 100% Australian honey. And that is honestly the easiest and best way we can support our bees and our beekeepers in Australia. Thanks so much, Nural and Kathleen. It's um, great to catch up with you, Nural, and so lovely to meet you, Kathleen. All the very best for your studies. I have been speaking with Dr. Nural Chotterton, Research Fellow, and Kathleen Schell, who is a research student uh, at Sydney University in dialogue with UTS, from what I can hear, all about the Fourth Australian Bee Congress. If you'd like to learn more about the Congress and its proceedings or about the honeybee industry, head to australianbeecongress.com.au or honeybee.org.au. Thanks very much. Thanks, Anthea. Thank you. And to hear more detail about Neural's research into the medicinal properties of Australian honeys, listen to Nourishing Matters in conversation with Professor, now Emeritus, Liz Harry and Neural in the episode on Honey and Healing from September 2021. Thanks for listening. To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and stay in touch via instagram at nourishing underscore matters and on facebook at nourishing matters to chew on 
If you like what you hear and would like to support us, give us a rating and a review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too. 